Ravi Zacharias is probably the top Christian apologist when it comes to this whole umbrella of philosophical apologetics. Now, I would highly encourage you to write down R-Z-I-M dot O-R-G. R-Z-I-M dot O-R-G, which is Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. And Ravi has made a lot of his resources available on his website there. Ravi Zacharias said this, the fact is the truth matters, especially when you've been on the receiving end of a lie. Truth matters. There is, there is so much importance when it comes to faith and religion of knowing what truth is because eternity is an awful long time to be wrong. To be wrong. So some 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the truth, was on trial and he was being confronted and even convicted by just, a, just, just tons of lies that these people brought against him. Now, in John chapter 18, we pick up an interesting dialogue. John chapter 18 is when Jesus is before Pilate. Now, let me say this to you. Before Jesus has this deeper conversation with Pilate, he's brought before a guy by the name of Annas. Annas is a former high priest who was very corrupt. Everything about Annas, man, with how he went about this trial and the accusations against Jesus, he was very corrupt. Jesus is then led to a guy by the name of Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the son-in-law of Annas. Caiaphas was very corrupt himself. Caiaphas rallies together the Jewish Sanhedrin as well as many false witnesses and they bring Jesus before them and they could find nothing wrong with him whatsoever. They couldn't find anything wrong. Caiaphas ultimately declares that the truth is guilty because the truth claimed to be God in flesh. And Caiaphas lands by saying, that is blasphemous before God. He deserves death. Now, that's what you're kind of picking up. Caiaphas violated at least six fundamental laws of that day. Three were religious. Three were legal with how he went about trying Jesus. False witnesses. They did it at night. Go and study the backdrop of Jesus' trial. Now, I made the observation a few weeks ago that Jesus was on trial not because of what he did, but because of who he claimed to be. Now, that would be interesting, would it not? Wouldn't it be interesting to be solicited as a juror and brought before a court and to say, this guy is on trial today because of who he claims to be? You would go, I don't even know where to start with that one right there. But yet that was what was happening with Jesus. John 18, listen to the dialogue with Pilate. Pilate asked, what accusation do you bring this man Jesus before me? They said, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. If he was not an evildoer, if he was not doing evil, he would not even be before you right now. Pilate summoned Jesus and said, question for you. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus looks at Pilate and says, are you saying this on your own initiative or did you hear about me and others put you up to the question? What makes you ask your question? Now, remember, we 
should spend more time questioning answers than answering questions. Jesus spent more time asking questions back to the people that posed things to him than he did giving them answers. He said, why are you asking it? So Pilate then looks and says, so you are a king. Now you don't miss this, don't miss this. Jesus said, you say correctly that I am a king. And for this reason, I was born... And for this reason, I have come into the world. Now, don't miss that. Circle it, highlight it, underscore it. Or, or you the king of the Jews. You, you really are a king. For this reason, Jesus is declaring his missional statement in a sense. For this reason, I was born. For this reason, I've come into the world. Why? To testify to the truth. Truth, truth, truth. Then he goes on to say, everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice, which could imply everyone who listens to me and my sayings and my teachings and obeys them and applies them is of the truth. And Pilate poses the question. Pilate poses the question to Jesus and says, what is truth? Pilate's question has been asked since humanity was created. What is truth? You go back and study Genesis chapter 3. When you go back and start to look at when God placed that first man and that first woman, Adam and Eve, in the garden. When Satan came at them, what Satan basically did was ask the question, has God truly said Has God spoken a truth that needs to be uh, uh, listened to, obeyed, uh, submitted to? You follow me? This whole concept of what is truth has been echoed throughout history. And Pilate asks the question, what is truth? Now, we live in a day that is considered to be uh, a day of postmodernism. Postmodernism or postmodern thinking. Postmodern thinking denies that truth can be known. So when you start to look at postmodernism, and it's been going on here for a while, but we are on a slippery slope as a culture and as, as a country right now. Because you start to dismiss truth and deny that truth can be known, then you open up subjective reasoning where every man is left to do as he wants to do. And man, what chaos comes as a result of that if there is no truth? Let me tell you what postmodernism says. It says that there is no truth, there is no certainty, there is no meaning, and there is no absolutes. That is the culture we find ourselves in right now. Now, postmodern thinking at its core has tried to evict God from the culture. And so if we can evict God, we can then eliminate moral absolutes. And if we can eliminate moral absolutes, then man is free to do whatever he wants to do, ever how he wants to do it. Thus, there's no consequences or responsibility for man. When you you start to study our culture, you go back to Roe Wade. And you go back at the legalized contraception, even in America, when it started, the divorce rate doubles. You go back and look at this whole Roe Wade issue. And what is on trial fundamental, uh, fundamentally there is the truth. 
Because if we can disregard truth, we don't have to say that there is a baby inside of you. We can say that it is fetal tissue and it really doesn't matter. That, that's the argument of postmodernism. Let's evict God and do away with moral absolutes and objective truth. Make sense? Now, come on, this is a teaching for you today. So that's the culture in which we find ourselves living. There is no truth. You can't know truth. Belief in God, belief in moral absolutes, we need to see all of that eroded. Again, we see it even now with gay marriage. Because God is a God of life. God is the author and perfecter of life. God is all about life. That's the reason when you get into these uh, political discussions, watch how people attack those questions of life. Whether it be abortion, whether it be same-sex marriage. When you get into trying to redefine God's blueprint of what a relationship and marriage looks like, what you do is you end up twisting life. Because God said, I am the author and perfecter and giver of life. Be fruitful and multiply. When you twist that concept, you eliminate procreation, which is you eliminate life. Come on. So, so we, we, we're going to dive into the deep end. All right. So in defining truth, in defining truth, it's important to know what truth is not. It's important to know what truth is not. Truth is not simply whatever works. Now, that's part of the thinking in our society. Well, if it works, it must be. No, 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 no. That's not necessarily true. Truth is not whatever makes people feel good. I wish I could jump on this table and scream that one from the core of my being. Truth is not whatever makes you feel good. When people use the argument that God wants me happy, what they're saying is whatever feels good, it's okay to do it. God never says in Scripture that he wants you happy. Sai may say that on Doug Dynasty, but not God. God calls us to be H-word holy sanctified, set apart unto him. So it's not whatever feels good. Truth is not what the majority says. I don't care what kind of poll the USA Today does. If 65% say yay and 35% say nay, it doesn't mean that's truth. It's popular opinion. We live in a society where no one wants to be held accountable and responsible for their choices. Man, I'll dive into that in a second. I got another thought. Truth is not just what is believed by the masses. Truth is not what gains public approval. It's not true. The word truth in the Greek literally means to unveil or to hide nothing. You shall know the truth. Nothing hidden, everything totally unveiled, nothing covered. Thus, when people start to talk that have been caught in sin, I've been dealing with some of this. When people start to talk, they will look saying, I'm telling you the truth. 
But in their confession, it's usually fragmented disclosure where you're getting only bits and pieces. Thus, still information is being hidden. If information is being hidden, you're not telling the truth. I'm lying through omission. I'm giving you what I think you want to hear, but I ain't going there. So truth means to unveil or to hide nothing. In the Greek, that's what it means. In the Hebrew, it means firmness, constant, that which endures, that which can be relied upon. So when we look at the word truth, what is truth? I've come to testify to the It means I'm not hiding anything. I'm not keeping anything from you. I mean, what I'm teaching can be relied upon. It's solid. Makes sense. Now, from a a philosophical perspective, there's three simple ways to kind of define truth. And I learned this again from Robbie. Now, here's the first one. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. So if I stand here and tell you truth, my name is Timothy Earl Cash. That's your middle name? Yeah, named after the Duke. But my name is Timothy (laughs) Earl Cash. That's true. My mom and dad named me that some 52 years ago. Now, if I told you that I was born December 11th, 1962, that would be the truth. Now, scientifically, I can't prove that. Scientific uh, data says you've got to be able to repeat it, right? The scientific proof says it's got to be repeatable. But historically, I've got a birth certificate, and I've got a few old photos And there's some other historical documentation that tells you that that, that's who you are. So it is consistent with reality. Another thing is this. Truth is not defined by perception. Perception is subjective. So people get into this whole reasoning mindset at times that, well, let me tell you what my perception was. Well, your perception is not necessarily uh, necessarily. Re, uh, the reality that we're dealing with. If Nick Slade stood up here this morning and said, I am by far the most handsome man in this church. <laughs> Mike would start to throw up. No, but here's what would happen. Lisa would say, that's true. But, but people make statements oftentimes that are based on perception and try to sell them as absolute. Make sense? It's perception because I'm the most handsome man on the staff. So, <laughs> now if you said, I have more hair than Tim, I would say, that's true. <laughs> but if I said, I've got more hair in my ears than you, that would be true. So, so we, we, we could break that down. Number two, truth is that which is consistent with its object. Write that down. Truth is that which is consistent with its object, which is to say the word that is being spoken and the reality that you're talking about have to match. Ravi Zacharias said this, if not, you amputate description from fact. 
there's an amputation. So if I stand here and say that I am married to Barb, what I just said right there is consistent with the object. I'm married to Barb. It's consistent with the facts. If I said that Barb and I in our marriage have had five kids, Rachel, Benji, Jesse, Hannah, and Caleb, that would be consistent with what I'm saying. Right? So, so they have to match. Anytime you make a statement with a word that is inconsistent with the object that you're talking about, it, the argument falls apart. So, so, so when Jesus says, I am the truth, he has to be the object and be consistent with the descriptive fact that he's given about himself. Come on, y'all got to think this morning. This is not shallow because the world in which we live, this postmodern society, has tried to do away with any type of absolutes and objectives. We can't, we can't go there. Three, truth is always there, always open, and it's available for all to see. Truth hides nothing. Barb said this to me years ago as she was counseling with a girl, and she looked and she said, God hates secrets. God hates secrets. Why? Because it, it's a form of lying. It's a form of covering. If the truth means to unveil and to hide nothing, God says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The greatest disinfectant for sin is getting in the light of God's truth. Why do people avoid the light of God's truth? Because we get exposed. Make sense? So let me share with you some of these challenges that we have right now to truth in our society. Under the umbrella of postmodernism is a term called relativism. There's a lot of people that call themselves relativist. Relativism says that all truth is relative and there's no such thing as an absolute truth. There's people in our society that would call themselves relativist. All truth is relative. There is no such thing as an absolute truth. So my question would be this. Is that claim all truth is relative? Is that a relative truth or a absolute truth? Because if it is a relative truth, truth, what you just said is meaningless. So even for the relative person, their arguments fall apart at the core. Their arguments have no meaning. Now, if what he said is an absolute truth, then absolute truth does exist. Now, I'm here to tell you that I believe that absolute truth exists. I believe that what God has said here is true for all people, all places, all times of all cultures. I believe that God's word is alive and it transcends time and people groups. That's just what I believe. Call me crazy, but that's what I believe. So I don't believe this book has an expiration date on it. I believe what was true for Moses is true for me. What was true for the apostle Paul is true for me. And, and because of that, the, relative says, uh, the relativist says all, all truth is relative is, is not consistent. Then you have people that call themselves skeptics. You ever met a skeptic? 
And what a skeptic will tell you is they doubt all truth. So the skeptic says, man, I doubt all truth, which I would have to ask, is the skeptic really skeptical about his own skepticism? (laughs) Because if he doubts all truth, can he even believe anything that he thinks or shares? Thus, his argument falls apart. Then you have people that call themselves agnostic. Now, atheist says there is no God. Atheist, they don't believe in God. But an agnostic, A-G, is against the knowledge of God really existing or truth existing. Make sense? So you hear people say that, or, well, I'm not an atheist, but I'm an agnostic. Okay, so what you're saying is you can't know truth. Yet the mindset is self-defeating because it claims to know one truth that you can't know truth. So the agnostic falls apart by saying, you you can't know truth. Then what statement did you just make that has any relevance to the conversation? For an agnostic to say, you can't know truth, it drives back to what we've been talking about here so much in this, is that I do not want to be held responsible and accountable for anything I do. So if I can disregard and deny or ignore or reject any type of truth, I can live like I want to live. That is a faulty place to get. Then you have what is called pluralism, which is these plural views of, of, of all information must be considered equally valid. In a polytheistic world, pluralism really floats down the stream pretty strong. But come on, do some research. Do some, do some searching on this. Pluralism says all truth claims are validly equal. They're, they're equally valid in all areas. Do you believe that? It's impossible. Can two claims be valid and both true at the same time? So if I stand here and say both of these claims are true and valid at the same time, two plus two equals four. And then I come over here and say two plus two equals five. That violates the law of non-contradiction, which says you cannot have something that's A and non-A at the same time. And that's the argument of pluralism, is that it's all according to how you want to interpret it. Now, now people get mad and say, well, well that, that's not fair to, to view it that way. I mean, you're not being tolerant, Tim. But as G.K. Chesterton said, tolerance is the virtue for the man with no conviction. It's the virtue for the man with no conviction. So, so let me dive into this. Truth by nature can be offensive. Truth by definition can be very offensive. I would even say truth by definition is offensive. I've had people make these complaints against uh, Christianity in the past, and I've heard them. Here's my fundamental problem, Tim, with the Christian faith. Christians are too narrow-minded. And I would look and say, yes, because truth defined excludes its opposite. As soon as I say that my name is Timothy Earl Cash, Michael Monroe or Nick Slade or Chad Daniel or Steve Trailer or none of those names work. So when you give a person your name, you're very narrow-minded. Come on. 
Your name is narrow. When you give them the date of birth, it's narrow. So people have used that argument saying, I I, I just think, man, Christians are too narrow. Would I accuse the math teacher for being narrow-minded by saying that the only answer acceptable for two plus two is four? I would look and say, don't let him off the hook for writing five. Well, he was close. He was wrong. If he fails, he fails. Now, when Jesus makes this narrow claim, Broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one. Jesus didn't say, let me tell you who I'm willing to make a few exceptions for. No one can come to the Father except through me. The gospel itself, but all truth in itself is narrow. Makes sense. Here's another complaint I've heard. It's arrogant, Tim, to, uh, to, to, to really say and claim that one person's right and the other person's wrong. People will say that in our society. Who are you to say that you're right? How can you say they're wrong? I established with you last week that Jesus, what separates him from all other teachers and religious founders is his virgin birth, and he predates time, and he, he, he was the only sinless person to ever live, and he, he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and all this stuff we talked about. Jesus, you're either telling the truth or you're a liar, and we've established that you're Lord and you're God and you're master. So when people say, man, I, I struggle with that, you, you can't say one person is right and one person is wrong. Suppose one of you said, hey, uh, can I borrow your keys to get into your office? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I need this package brought back down here. And I gave you my keys. And I would look at you saying, hey, hey, there's three keys on here. That one right there, you know, that's for my Toyota truck. Don't use that one. And don't think that just because you can push these little buttons and open the truck doors, it's going to open the office doors. Don't use that one. And this one right here, this is going to open the doors at my home, my home address. But hey, go up there, use this key right here, and it'll get you into my office. None of you would look at me saying, why are you so (laughs) narrow-minded? Why didn't you give them options? Because the lock on my door does not provide any other options. Use this one, and you're stuck like Chuck on the outside of the door. Use the other one, you're not getting in that door, you can get into my home. But people look and say, well, why do you have to have this right and wrong? Because we live in a society that functions that way. We do. here's, here's, Here's another complaint I've heard. The Christian faith excludes people. It's not inclusive. That's a lie from hell. Jesus is inclusive where he says, it's not my will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Jew, Greek, Gentile, Samaritan, you name it. 
It doesn't matter if you're male, female. He broke that down where women had dignity never like that in, in human history. He broke the color boundary, a barrier. He broke all this stuff down. Is the gospel inclusive? Yes, the gospel wants to include all people. But are there truth claims in here that are exclusive? So I'm in Walmart a while back, and this girl looked, and she goes, uh, so I gave her a little card and said, I want, I'd like to invite you to our church. And she said, uh, are y'all an inclusive church? I said, what do you mean by that statement? Well, I, I'm a lesbian, and I live with my girlfriend, and I just want to know, are you inclusive? I said, what you're asking is, do we believe that the Bible has certain standards that God has laid out as absolutes? Yes, we believe the Bible has standards of absolutes. We believe there's a blueprint for relationship. There is a blueprint for raising your kids. There is a blueprint for how you get to heaven. There's a blueprint of what's right and what's wrong. Now, do we believe that the gospel would include a person like you through faith and repentance that you could come to know Jesus? We're inclusive with the gospel, but we know that the truth claims of Scripture exclude and so all statements can't be equal. And people look and they go, you really believe that? Yes. So the gospel includes fourth. Tim, it is very offensive and divisive that only one way is the truth. I believe that all that matters, Tim, is that you just need to be sincere. You can be sincere all you want to be. You take my keys and you'll be sincerely wrong until you get the right key that works. Let's say this right here was poison. You can look at that and you can go, that looks like green tea. But let's say I tell you, no, that, that's poison. I bought that poison. I know what I'm going to use that poison for. And you go, no, I don't believe it's poison. Drink it and the effects of poison are going to spread through your body. You can be sincere, but you're sincerely wrong. I remember watching that football game years ago in that highlight where Jim Marshall of the Minnesota Vikings, I mean, man, I'm telling you, they were out there, they were locked into this game, and, and, and here he is on defense, he's on the 20-yard line, the other team's got to go 80 yards to score. All of a sudden, man, they bust this play up. The ball falls on the ground. Marshall picks it up. Marshall's only got to run 16 yards, and he scores. And he gets hit and knocked around. And he picked that ball up, and he took off running the other way. And the, the other team they were playing, all those guys stood there and watched him. Where one of his guys, a quicker guy, goes, oh, you, oh, you're going the wrong way. And he chases him down and tackles his own player. Marshall was sincere. He was serious about which way he was running. But he was sincerely, and people use the argument that all that matters, just be sincere. Well, no, you got to be sincere about the truth. Now, are we here to blast other people? No. We're here, as I said at the end of last week, to bring the ribeye, the superior. We're not here to blow you up and blow you away and blast you. We're here to sanctify Christ as Lord. 
to share the hope that we have. Now, let me wrap it here. Truth matters. The world in which we live, all people born into the world are trying to answer four basic questions. It's in your notes. I need truth that gives me definition of answering the question of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. All these other world religious systems are trying to give people answers to these four questions. Origin, where did this all come from? If you get into the school of science, many will say it was all evolution. We believe biblically it was all creation. You were just at that creation museum not long ago. We believe that God created. Science in the world will say it just all evolved. These cosmic gases collided and people are trying to answer the question of origin. Where did it all come from? Meaning. What is our fundamental purpose for existence? Does a person really have meaning? Let me tell you, this book right here repeatedly tells me what my purpose for existence is. Morality is that question. Listen, is there a right and is there a wrong? And are there absolutes and objective truths that govern all humanity? Yes, there is a standard of morality that God set. And then people struggle with the question of destiny. What happens when I go boots up? What happens when I die? And because of my Judeo-Christian faith and my faith in Jesus and in him alone, I feel that my soul has been satisfied with truthful answers. Now, here, here, here it is. Why is truth so important? As I said on the front side, Eternity is a long, long, long time to be wrong. Life has consequences for being wrong. Life has consequences for being wrong. You give a person the wrong medication or too much medication, and they can die. What happened? I took the wrong medicine, I took the wrong dosage. You can die. A financial investor make the wrong decisions with your financial portfolio and you can go broke. You can go broke. Getting on the wrong airplane can take me to the wrong city of where I want to go. It just happens that way. Being married to an unfaithful marriage partner can bring about incredible disaster in your marriage of even divorce, possibly even infect you with disease. I'm telling you, there's consequences for being wrong. And we've dealt with all of these issues over the years. What is truth? It is Jesus Christ personified it is Jesus Christ's message. It is God in flesh redeeming humanity back to harmonious, intimate relationship with the Father. I'm truth. For this reason, I've come to testify to the truth. For this reason, I was born to testify. He who is born of truth hears my voice. Truth. Let me wrap it with this. All of these passages are in your bulletin here. Man, these are strong passages, gang. Listen to me. 
2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. They rejected the love of the truth. They rejected God's plan of salvation. They rejected God's invitation, the truth invitation to get right with God. Listen to what he says. God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Do you believe when a person knows the truth and rejects the truth or refuses to submit to the truth, do you believe that person's heart can become calloused even to the point that God will send deluding influence? I do. I do. Do you believe that person can become so callous that they don't care about the collateral damage that they create in other people's worlds? I've been dealing with that. Yes. Yes, deluding influence. Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. When you're living an ungodly life and you know before God that what you're doing is unrighteous and you suppress the truth, God's wrath eventually will be poured out if you don't repent. Who is this for today? It's for me and it's for you. It's that we submit to the truth of God. We don't negotiate the truth. We don't trivialize the truth. We don't evict God and his truth from anything that we do. Romans chapter 2, 6 through 8. God will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, God will bring wrath and indignation. Do you believe that, Tim? Yes. I believe it's important for all of us to look at this and go, God cares about my pursuit of truth. So as I go out to make a, a defense and give an answer and to be an apologia, a, a, an apologist in this world, he's going, hey, you've got to share my truth in love. Share my truth in love. 1 Corinthians 13 is quoted at pretty much every wedding. I mean, you can go to a wedding and hear 1 Corinthians 13 quoted, and it talks about love. And he goes on to say, love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love does not take into an account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Love rejoices in the truth. The truth. So some 2,000 years ago on that early morning, Pilate was looking in the eyes of the originator of truth when he asked the question, what is truth? And the unveiling and the unknown had been disclosed. I am truth. Pilate had a choice. What would he do with truth? And we have a choice. Am I going to respond to truth and submit to truth? And am I going to declare his lordship and leadership in my life or am I going to reject him and ignore who he is? The invitation is come to me, all you who are tired, weary, you tired of playing games? 
You tired of minimizing your stuff? You tired of playing the religious game? This ain't a religious culture here. Religion means to turn, uh, return to bondage. We're not into religion. We're not into returning back to bondage. This is a Christ-centered culture that invites people to come to God's truth. Does God love us all? Does God desire to redeem your story and to make you what you never even dreamed possible? Let's pray.